Well, uh, I get to be a civilian today. Uh, we're, we're actually uh, going to have a, a guest speaker, Mr. Uh, Chris Owasco, is going to give us the word in a moment. And so let me just tell you a little bit about Chris. I've known Chris for several years now. We, we became friends when, when he either, when I moved into the area or he moved in the area, we kind of at the same time uh, uh, through, through his work in Young Life and over many lunches of having theological debates with fortune cookies and spring rolls and sometimes Jason's Deli, uh, uh, just got to know his heart before he was ever at church here, before uh, really getting to hear him teach. Uh, just his heart for the Lord is is known. Uh, his wife uh, is Kristen, or if you have a kid in Groves, uh, you may know her as Mrs. Iwasco. Uh, and they have three children here, uh, Macy, uh, Molly, and Charlie. Uh, uh, Chris is right now the area, I had to get the, the title right, the area director for Young Life in Mid-County. And Young Life is an organization, uh, it's a nonprofit organization that partners with churches, but they, they kind of mobilize adults with the gospel to go into high schools and spaces where teenagers are so that teenagers who aren't really interested in the church and maybe you're kind of put off by the church building, they hear about the Lord and they hear the gospel and, and in many ways have that first invitation to what life of faith in Jesus can look like. And then, and then help them and discipleship and pointing them to it. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, Chris, thank you for, for coming. Give Chris a round of applause. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. So public speaker's worst nightmare is the mic check drama. Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's an honor. I don't feel like I've gotten to really spend a tremendous amount of time with this church yet for me to be in this position. So uh, it really is quite an honor to stand before you and open the Lord's Word uh, with you. So uh, let's jump right into it. A uh, couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jesse introduced a uh, message series, uh, Some Disassembly Required, and I think there will be a slide. There it is. Uh, how to get rid of some of the things that might get in the way of our ability to see God clearly, our ability to see Jesus clearly. Uh, and so we see in the book of John, Jesus walks into the temple and he recognizes that there's all this commerce going on. There's all this stuff happening, money changers. Uh, they're, they're trying to deal with animals and money. And he's like, no, this is not what this place is for. And in perfect first century Jewish tradition, uh, he gets into some guerrilla marketing and he just starts flipping tables. Uh, and he, he's making a scene. And this is maybe like weird to us. Like we would be like, what are you doing? This is insanity. Back then, this was a little bit more normal. Okay. Uh, it would not be unusual for a rabbi or, or for a for a, for a yeah a rabbi uh, to to do something dramatic like we write three point messages and they usually start with the same letter and you know things like that that's not what they did back then back then they would do dramatic things to get people's attention um, we call them TED talks today maybe right so this is not super uncommon but it's still jarring right uh, and so Jesus is doing this why because he hates commerce no because he hates extortion. Because uh, he hates it when there's stuff that gets in the way between our ability uh, to com- connect and communicate with God. Uh, and so, yeah, so we've been asking the question as a church, what are some of the things that we have in our lives uh, that need to be flipped, need to be getting out of the way? Um, and so that's what we want to jump into uh, as well today. So the opening scenes of the Bible tell us that 
that humans were made uh, in, in God's image uh, to be his agents and his representatives on planet Earth and to be about the spreading of God's glory over the rest of the world. God tells Adam, tells Eve, he says, hey, listen, this garden that I made, uh, designed it to be perfect. Uh, Hebrew word is shalom. It's, it's wholeness. It's completeness. Um, and I want you guys to take this and replicate it all over the rest of the earth. So you're going to fill the earth with my glory like the seas cover the waters. So the waters cover the seas. And so go, expand. That's our mission. That was before anything else happens in Scripture, we get this mission from God as a, as a species. Go and make the rest of the world operate and look like this garden. Everything perfect. Everything great. Uh, and I think like maybe the next morning we screw it up. Um, yeah, just a few moments later in the story, we derail ourselves. Uh, why? Because we buy into this deception. Um, is God really good? Is he, is he really trustworthy? Is he, is he really um, who he's making himself out to be? Or is he actually holding out on us? Uh, and if we're honest, that's actually the probably the temptation maybe packaged differently, uh, but it's ultimately the same message that the enemy whispers in our ears all the time. Is he really good? Can you really trust him? Did he really say? And if we're not careful, we start to buy into that narrative and we start to question the character and the nature of God. And as we fall for the enemy's lies, we take steps away from God and that ushers in this distance, and that ushers in this, this space between us and our Creator, who we were intended to have this as close as our next breath kind of relationship with, but because of this distrust <clears throat> that starts to introduce this distance. And we call that sin. We call those steps away sin, and it separates us from God. We, stay, we take steps away from his instructions for how life is best lived. And one of the major tragedies of sin is that we separate, uh, in our separated state, we start to forget who we are. We lose our purpose. We lose our identity very fast when we are apart, uh, when we are distant from our creator. And all manners of evil start sweeping in, uh, fighting Pride, self-righteousness, envy, hate, murder. If you think about Adam and Eve and their fall from grace, and then their children, like, like their firstborn, at least of the way that Scripture seems to read, Cain, he kills his brother. We are one generation separated from the garden, and there's already murder. There's already fratricide. <laughs> like, like, I'm killing my brother. One generation away, like they could go to Adam and be like, Dad, hey, we have this like fight. What would God say? No, they don't. They, he kills his brother. Like, if we think that it takes a long time for like decay to slip in, for rot to come into our hearts, it's not true. It's going to happen really fast when we disconnect ourselves from God, when we allow space between us. Um, it should not surprise us uh, as a country or as a people group when we start to see moral decay. Why? Because we're separated from God. Let's not fool ourselves to think that it's going to be this slow decline. No, it is, it is fast. We're not created to be detached from God. And as quickly as we forget who God is and what His nature and character is like, we forget Him, we forget His ways, we do things that violate His laws, and kind of a mental, like a, like a word picture for you, take a rock and go to a pond 
and throw that rock in, that pond, what's going to happen? It's going to be a splash, and there's going to be ripples, and, and the waters that were once peaceful are now troubled. And every time I do something that violates God's laws, every time I say, I'm going to do it my way, I'm chunking a rock into this pond. And it's got all these concentric circles. There's no such thing as a victimless crime, right? Like My actions are going to distort something. Somehow a relationship is going to get fractured, etc. Now multiply like the entire human race, and we're all just throwing rocks in this pond. How troubled are these waters? How, how, how much chaos are we introducing daily into the perfect peace, the shalom that, that God has in mind for what life is supposed to be like? Laws are broken, loved ones are hurt, relationships are fractured. My iPad's not working, there we go. Uh, somehow uh, we know and we feel the effects of our actions. And then we start to believe that, man, I, okay, so I, I know that God wanted things peaceful and different and uh, right-ordered, and, and I'm a rock chunker, um, he could never want anything to do. He could never want to do anything with me. Like he, he's he's perfect, and I am aware of my imperfection and my tendency to mess things up. And so I'm 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 going to distance myself from God. And now shame is a part of our story. Like God would never want to do anything with me because look how messed up I am. Look how dysfunctional I am. And and man, we're just we start to I'm just downward death spiral again. That's just me. What about the collective human nature? All of us. We're pushing ourselves away from God. We're distancing ourselves from God. We buy into these lies about who we are and who He is, and it's just chaos. Um, and I don't think I'm having to sell that hard. I think y'all get that. Like we, we see that, that the world is wonky. It's because we forget who God is. And we forget what His character and nature is like. And so this morning, um, my goal... Uh, is to clear some distractions and reset some priorities. And in so doing, hopefully we'll walk away with some clear pictures of Jesus. Uh, and like the series title insinuates, we might have to do some disassembling of some thought patterns that we have in our lives um, about who God is. So before we go any further, uh, we need to do some word study. Uh, I love to do word studies. Uh, one of my geeky things to do. I don't know what you do with your free time, but I like to get into Greek word studies and Hebrew. Um, so the word God, okay, in God we trust. Um, that's just a word, like that's just a that's just a like that's a noun. It's a title, okay. Uh, God's not God's name. That it's just an just a designation. Uh, nothing super special. If we spoke Hebrew, we would use the word Elohim. Um, you maybe like are familiar with the term El Shaddai. Anybody ever heard that before? Uh, so L is like a like a shortened abbreviation for Elohim. El Shaddai it kind of refers to this idea of God Most High or the the God that lives on the highest mountain. It's kind of what some of the origin of of that little title is. Uh, so lots of gods have been bandied about. Lots of you know Zeus or Apollo or whatever. Uh, these are all, you know, if we're Jewish, uh, we're going to use the word Elohim. We're going to say, who's your Elohim? Oh, okay, yeah, Zeus, cool. Who's yours? Oh, yeah, this one. Just, just a word, just God, okay? Uh, nothing necessarily special about 
that word. Uh, I have a wife. If you're married, you have a spouse. Um, her name is Kristen. Um, her title, I guess, maybe her role uh, is wife, but that, that would be weird if I never called Kristen Kristen. If I only ever called her wife, that would be weird. If you only ever call your spouse husband or wife, that, that like people who hear this will be like, why, why do you never call? Like, you, can, you, can, you can use Kristen's name, Chris. You can call her Kristen. Oh, no, 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 no. She's his wife. Right? That's weird. Uh, you wouldn't do that. Um, but so for some reason, this is like a culture uh, we are okay with. We've kind of like said okay to this idea of just calling our God, our Elohim, God. Uh, and I've been studying this for a little while, and I, I don't see scriptural support for us to not use his personal name. Uh, and I think where I want to go today, it's re- really important that we kind of lay a foundation for, for who he is and what his name actually is. Um, his name's Yahweh. It's a Hebrew name. Uh, it's his personal name. Uh, just like I know my spouse, and over time I'm getting to know her more and more and things that she likes and things that she doesn't like and what her mannerisms are, uh, with time we start to be able to do the same with Yahweh. We start to get an idea of what he likes and what he doesn't like and uh, what his mannerisms are and how he, how he interacts with uh, creation. Um, but yeah, God isn't his name. Um, it would be too impersonal of a name to call him, considering the relationship that he wants to have with us. So where did this come from? Why don't we refer to our Elohim, our, our God, by his personal name? Uh, one of the tables that I want to flip this morning uh, is the tradition of not using his name. So it's a man-made misunderstanding. Okay, okay, so history lesson, uh, the Israelites are in Babylonian captivity, okay, and a neighboring foreign power uh, has come in, conquered, and taken the people of Israel into captivity. And it is during this time, this exile, uh, while, while they're in foreign land, where they start to ask some questions, like, why are we here? What did we do wrong? Uh, and they start to fix some things. They start to make some decisions. Like, hey, this is the new thing that we're going to live our life by. We're going we're gonna to do a really good job of, of, of following the laws of God better. Uh, and so they, this is actually also the time when like the actual, like the scriptures are starting to get compiled and the, and the, the, the biblical texts, the Old Testament, uh, books are starting to like get like written down and let's commit these to paper and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and in that time when they were actually doing the writing down of the oral tradition, when they would come to God's personal name, they would stop. They would, they would, uh, go do a ritual washing. And then they would come back to the paper, and then they would start to write it down. But then they would like maybe skip some letters. And so maybe you've seen like Y H W H before uh, instead of the full spelling out of Yahweh. Why? Because that is God's holy name. We don't want to do anything close to replicating what got us into Babylonian exile in the first place. Let's not. Let's. Ooh, this is dynamite. Let's watch out. Um, and that's kind of like, then it snowballed. And then they started doing a substitution where they would not even put those letters. They would start putting in a substitute. Uh, your Bible probably has the word Lord uh, in it. And, and there's two kinds of Lords in your Bible. There's Lord with all lowercase letters, and there's Lord with 
like all uppercase letters or maybe it's like small caps. Um, that, is, that is one of the instances where they have substituted out, for good intentions, the, the name Yahweh. That would have been Yahweh right there in the original text. Anybody want to take a stab at how many times that substitution happens in the Bible? Just throw something out there. How many times do you think that happens? Seven thousand times in the scriptures, uh, they swapped out Yahweh for the Lord. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing like, like you don't need to go like throw your Bible away. Nothing, no, but I think that there's something valuable in knowing that that happened. And and what is the fallout of that swap? God gives us his personal name. He never tells us not to use it. But we have said, whoa, wait a second. That's too personal. That's, 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 that's an intimacy that I don't know that I'm comfortable with. And so we downshift to calling him, I mean, what does Lord mean, right? It's like master, boss. So instead of calling him by his first name, we, we change the relationship on him. And we say, we're comfortable with calling you boss. We're comfortable with calling you master. I'm not comfortable calling you Yahweh. And I think our culture, I think, I think like the faith movement right now is starting to come back around to that. I'm seeing it used in songs more and, and things like that. And I'm so happy about that because I think that starts to reframe our understanding of the relationship that God wants to have with us. So, okay, maybe some of you are thinking like, well, what about the, one of the Ten Commandments where it says don't take the Lord's name in vain? And I'm so glad you're thinking about that because I definitely want to address that. Um, that has more to do with marriage language than it does with foul language. Okay, um, should we incorporate the name of God in our swearing? No, we shouldn't do that. Now, that's a bad idea anyway. But that's not what that command is is talking about. When Kristen takes on the marriage vows with me, uh, she changed her last name. She took my name. Now there are things that she should not be doing if she's going to be my wife. Um, chiefly, don't take any other lovers. Uh, she, there's, a, there's a switch that happens. There's a, there's a trade-off that happens. I'm going to take your name, and that means something. If I'm now married to Kristen, or for the sake of the analogy, if she's married to me, there are things that she shouldn't do if she's going to be my wife. Um, and, and, and that's how we need to see this commandment. If we're going to be God's people, there are things that we should and shouldn't be doing if we're going to take his name. Um, if you haven't done any kind of study before on the scene that's happening at Mount Sinai and in, in relation to like a, like a first century, or not even first century, an ancient marriage uh, ceremony, there, there are super crazy parallels going on here where God is basically saying to the Israelites, be my spouse. And, and here are all these customs that y'all are very familiar with. And then we look at the, the story and the way it plays out, and there are these customs, just they, they keep showing up. And it's this really beautiful thing where God's saying, I want this partnership. I want this relationship with, with you, um, Hebrews. And it's going to be very unique. It's going to be very special. And spoiler alert, he wants that for all of us. And so if we're worried about not using God's name because we're in violation of some covenant, we're, we're missing 
We're missing the point there. Don't take my name and then go live like you're still single. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, but your lifestyle and your behavior says something different, that's when we need to be worried about breaking that commandment. Does that make sense? So if you consider... Yeah, I said that already. All right. Uh, so his name's Yahweh, and he invites us into this personal relationship with him. Yahweh wants to be on a first-name basis uh, with you, like a close friend. Uh, so yeah, let's actually look at that invitation. So Yahweh introduces himself to Abraham. Y'all know this story. Abraham, uh, he tells him, hey, I want to make a great nation out of you. I want to uh, give you a, a, a child of promise and from you, I'm going to bless the whole world. And for whatever reason, Abraham says, okay, I'm in. Uh, and you fast forward that story, you get to uh, the patriarchs, right? You get Isaac, you get Jacob, you get the 12 tribe of Israel. You get into this place where a famine forces them to move into Egypt. Uh, and they start to continue to, to, to prosper. They're a very big family. They're multiplying uh, a new pharaoh, a new king of Egypt, uh, takes power and he's not familiar with the arrangements that the previous pharaohs had made with this uh, group. And uh, he starts to get his, his fellow countrymen kind of rallied up about, hey, if, if we're not careful, these guys can like overpower us because they are a, they're a multitude. Uh, and the Egyptians are like, yeah. So they force him into forced slavery. Um, for 400 years, uh, God's people are in uh, Egyptian slavery, um, brick by brick under the Egyptian sun. Whatever traditions they had coming into Egypt are slowly baking out of them. Um, they, they're losing their identity as a, as a people, um, and, and they're just slaves. Uh, they're, they're, they live to work, and they work to live. Um, and then Yahweh the Elohim of Abraham, he hears the cries of the Israelites and he raises up a deliverer named Moses. Um, Moses, at the time of his calling, is, is uh, out in the desert. Um, Y'all know the cartoon, right? The Prince of Egypt, right? So, so he's, he's like second in command in Egypt and uh, some drama uh, takes place. He, he sees one of uh, his countrymen, he is a fellow Hebrew, uh, uh, being... Um, beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster, and, and Moses steps in, and uh, he accidentally kills the guy, uh, and he doesn't bury him in the sand deep enough, apparently, because somebody finds out that this happens, and um, now Moses is running for his life, and so he, he, he leaves Egypt, um, and he takes up uh, residence in the land of Midian. Uh, he becomes a shepherd, uh, marries this dude's daughter, he starts working in the family business, and he's a shepherd now, okay? So, like, just imagine that Transition. You go from being like the prince of Egypt, one of the most powerful nations uh, in, in civilization in the world at the time, and, and now you're with sheep in the desert. And not even like a nice part of the desert, like Midian. And you're just doing your, like 40 years he's doing this. Uh, and then one day, nothing special about this day, but one day he's doing his things, taking the flock around the side of the mountain, and he sees this plant on fire. Not super unusual, probably, you know, lightning, I don't know. Um, but as he approaches it, uh, he starts to notice that, oh, okay, it's not actually burning. It's on fire, but it's not burning. Um, at what point do you, like, go, oh, awkward, and, like, walk away? Uh, <laughs> what does he do? He, like, 
Start having a conversation with this bush on fire. I'm checking my canteen at this point. Like, maybe I'm under the sun too long. Um, but he starts to hear his name, Moses. Moses. God is speaking to Moses through this bush that's not being consumed, and he gives Moses a job. And he says, Moses, hey, I got something for you. I want you to, I want you to be the deliverer for my people. I've heard their cries. Okay, go back and read that story sometime. Um, what I love about this is that it never actually says that the Israelites cried out to Yahweh. I noticed this as I was getting ready for this message. It just says that they cried out. Never actually said that they cried out to their God. It just says that they cried out. And Yahweh heard them. Um, completely free from the message, but don't worry too much about getting the words right in your prayers. God hears you. Yahweh hears you. Maybe you didn't like use the right combination of phrases and words in your crying out and you're lamenting, like let your open heart cry and God hears you. That's encouraging to me. I don't need a decoder ring for this faith. Uh, I can just cry and he hears you and he, he takes action. Now you might say 400 years though, dude, like that's a long time to listen to me cry before you snap into action. Um, yeah, okay, that feels like that to us. 400 years feels like a long time. Like, yeah, generations have come and gone. But God is, he's doing something with this people group. And to bake in cultural identity and to bake out cultural identity, that takes time. All right, so sometimes our time targets and our timetables and our lives, God goes, that's cute. I got something bigger that I'm working on, though. Um, so we got to kind of hold our life open-handed. It's kind of what being a follower of Jesus is going to mean sometimes. It, it means sometimes that it's not going to happen in my life. It's going to happen in my kid's life. And we have to be okay with that. We have to reconcile that. Um, he's not on our timetable. Um, in fact, actually, when you look at the course of Scripture and you look at the, the story of God and his people, it seems like he's never in a hurry, like ever, for anything. And I think that there's a reason for that. I, th I think he's far too more interested in cultivating and shaping character in his people. Um, and that takes time. And so maybe you're in the middle of something and you're just like, man, it's been 400 years. I've been crying out. He, he heard you. He hears you. Take solace in that and trust him that when the time is right, he will act. And when he acts, he acts. <laughs> Like, look at the 12 plagues. Like, he moves. God flexes on your behalf when the time is finally right. And so hold your head up high uh, while you're going through your 400 years, whatever that might look like to you. All right. Sorry. Um, so Moses is calling. He's hiding out. Uh, he, he gets uh, the people out of uh, Egypt. They're... Uh, they're coming to the... I'm, I'm skipping ahead here for time. Uh, okay, they get to the mountain uh, that, that, uh, that we get like the Ten Commandments story from, if you've seen that Charlton Heston movie. 
And uh, does y'all still watch that? Is that still out? Is that a thing? Like, did I lose a generation with that reference? It was like every Easter, right? They used to play that on ABC or whatever. Um, and so Moses goes up to the mountain. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Um, but the invitation was for all of them to go up to the mountain. They, they tell Moses, Moses, yeah. hey, would you go for us and tell us what he says? And I think that's a super tragic story. Like that moment was an invitation for everyone to go. And they said, we want to send a proxy. Would you go be our representative? Like, does God's heart break in that moment a little bit? It's like, dang it. I really, I really wanted this moment for like all of us, but you send an agent on your behalf. All right. God works with us. Uh, God, God, God is not, he meets us where we are and, and he doesn't get mad at them for this response. And he says, okay, I'm, I'll, I can work with this. Um, and again, that's another super really encouraging thing, uh, that, that God's going to meet us where we are. Um, and, and, and gently will walk us through maturing. Um, cause if he moves too fast and like, break us in half, right? We can go too fast. He can go too fast. And so he's tender and he's caring and, and he says, all right, I can, I can do something with this. And so he, he tells Moses, um, and while he's up there in the mountain in the cloud meeting with God face to face, the people are down at the base of the mountain and like, like 40 days and 40 nights have, have come and gone. And the people are starting to get restless and y'all know this story, right? So they say, Aaron, Moses' brother, Aaron, uh, we've taken up a collection of jewelry, of gold. Um, Moses is gone. I don't know what happened to him. Maybe, maybe he died. 40 days is a long time. It's over a month, right? Um, we feel like we want to do something to like, connect with Yahweh. Uh, would you would you fashion a, 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 a golden calf for us so that we can have a feast day for Yahweh? And Aaron Aaron does it. Like, why would you do it? Like, go back and look at Aaron's story. He's with Moses through so much of this. Like, why, Aaron, would you have said yes to this? Or for whatever reason, he does. Uh, and then they have this feast day, and it is an unholy thing. Uh, and and God's like Moses, step aside for a second. I'm going to go clean house a little bit because they literally are violating the marriage covenants that we just had uh, in this little thing that they're doing. Where did they get the idea for a golden calf from? Where did they get some? I think I just heard somebody say, it. where did they get the idea of how to have these feast days from? They still have Egypt in them. They, they've seen the way that the Egyptians worship their gods. Uh, Jesse introduced us to a, a, a big word the other Sunday, and it was uh, moralistic plural deism. Did I get that one right? Moralistic relativist. I don't remember. It was a big one. I'm going to give you a big one today. Uh, religious syncretism. And that's where I take the customs of this religion, and I take the customs of this religion, and I slap them together and say, this is okay. Um, this is that scene in the scriptures where God says, no, that is not okay. You're not allowed to take the, the ways that Egypt worships their false gods and match them to the way that I'm instructing you on how I'm to be worshipped. You don't get to do that. And so we see God having to kind of clean some house right off the bat. Yahweh's name, real quick. Uh, what does that mean? Maybe you've seen I am before. Uh, I am that I am. 
Okay, so that's a, like the English is trying to, to, to figure out how to, how to say that right. Uh, it, it's super clunky. I am and will continue to be what I am and will forever be. And that's his name. My name's Chris. He's got a cool name. <laughs> What's important about this name thing uh, is that it's directly tied uh, to I am with you. It's like directly tied. I, I am the first place. Anytime that it's used, there's this, this marriage that's taking place with whatever he says he is. I am, and then fill in the blank. And he's the, he's the purest, most perfect version of that. And the first time that it's being used, Moses is saying, well, if I go to Egypt and I tell Pharaoh that, that my God says, let my people go, he's going to go, who cares? Uh, who are you? Who's your God? Uh, that's where we get the first actual use of his name. I am sent you. Uh, I am is with you. Uh, super exciting and super encouraging that the first place that God's name is used is in conjunction with him being with you. What are you going through? What are you dealing with? God's with you. Yahweh is with you. And if you're familiar with your Christmas story, familiar with the book of Revelation, this is, this is yeah, this makes sense. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Book of Revelation, we see at the very end of the story, and God is now finally with his people. He is their God. They don't need the sun anymore because he is light, and he gets to finally be with his people. It's always been what he's always been after, with you. And just so that we don't like get lost in the you there with you, not not y'all, because it's easy to get lost in the y'all. It's easy to, to just kind of go, oh, okay, we, clearly he's talking about them and that y'all, not necessarily me and that y'all. No, no, you. I don't know everyone's name in here, but if I did, you. He's with you. Take a deep breath. God's with you. Yahweh is with you maybe in light of who he is, what you're going through starts to look a little smaller compared to him. Maybe the plight that's keeping you up at night, maybe it loses some of its teeth because God's with you. Yahweh's with you. From the very start, this is what he's always been about. Whatever character traits Yahweh has, He's the most perfect version of that. He is just, therefore he is the very definition of justice. He's love, therefore he's the very definition of love. He's with you, he's the very definition of what that could even mean. But if we keep him at a distance, we are at a loss of that nearness. Like we're, we're pushing him away. Um, no, it's too, too intimate of a relationship. A girl meets a guy, uh, and she really likes this guy because he is so sweet and so kind and so romantic. And then she marries this guy, and she realizes that he's only sometimes so sweet and so romantic. Uh, and that's actually my story. Like, uh, <laughs> Why do we make New Year's resolutions? Uh, because we realize... 
man, I, I, I get off mark quickly. Like, I, I get off track fast. And so he, like, every year is like this opportunity for us to say, no, 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 I want to fix this about me. I want to go back to this. I want to get back to center on some things. Um, God is unchanging. He, he's always what he is and will forever be what he is. Um, not all the gods are like that, right? Like, there are a lot of gods. You go back and, like, study the mythology and whatnot, and you see, like, tricks, like Marvel fans in the house. Uh, Loki, the trickster god. What is that? What are they trying to communicate there? That that he's he's sneaky and sometimes whatever he wants to do, he's he's going to do that. Um, that's not Yahweh. It's not him. He is constant. He is the definition of constant. What he was in the Old Testament, he is in the New Testament. What he says he will do, he will do. And he is. I'm gonna say it again. He is with you. And so Moses uh, implores God not to blow up the Israelites for their golden calf. If you have Scripture, we're going to put it on the screen for you, but if you have Scripture, uh, this is Exodus 34. I don't want to read something to you straight from the text. Yeah, so the Lord descends in the cloud, and stood with him, Moses, there. And he proclaims the name of the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and swap in Yahweh, if that's okay with y'all. And he proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh, verse 6. Yahweh passed before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? This is the longest explanation or or unpacking of God's name in the Bible. Um, you want to know the character and nature of God? Highlight those verses. This is him. And there's two parts to this. I don't know if you saw two parts going on here. He says, I am this, and I am this, and I am this, and I am this, comma, but I'm also this. And I think we like maybe miss a little bit of who God is because we read a little bit heavier into the second half. Uh, and so I wanted to just like talk about this for just a second. So uh, yeah, verse 7. Uh, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. Okay, so the fathers and the children and the children's children to the fourth or the, th- the third or fourth generation. Okay, so four generations. Um, we I don't know if, if this resonates with you guys. Like when I read that, I'm like, oh man, God's kind of mean. Like he's like kind of mean. Like that sounds like that's mean. Like what do the kids do? Um. But if we're honest with ourselves, we pick up our parents' bad habits, don't we? Like, how, where'd you learn that from? Ah, my dad. Like, we're, we're a species that passes down some good things, but also some, some like, broken things. Where'd your temper come from? 
where, where did that, that tendency to just, I don't know, whatever your thing is, where did that come from? That didn't come from just nothing. That got passed down to you. Um, this is not about generational curses, by the way, either. Like, there are other passages of Scripture that talk about, like, no, no, the, the, you are responsible for your own stuff. Okay, he's not just going to, like, blow you up because of something your dad did. No, that, that, this, is, this is talking about those, those things. Like, like, I'm going to root it out is basically what he's saying here. Is like, eventually, I'm going to root it out. Uh, but what I want to draw attention to is the word thousands. Because if we're not careful, we'll key in on this whole, like, three or four generations thing, and we'll miss out the fact that God's saying that I am all of these really amazing things to so many people. But, yeah, if there's something that needs to be dealt with, I'm going to deal with it. And so what does the scale look like? It's like, like this. Toward what? Toward grace and mercy and compassion and love and faithfulness. But there is something on this side of the scale. If there is something that needs to be dealt with, I can't just look the other way. Why? Because I'm too committed to shalom. I'm too committed to my creation. I'm too committed to my image bearers treating other image bearers well. And I will deal with something like this. He deals with Egypt. Why? Because of what they were doing. I'm going to address this. It will now, maybe not on your timetable, but I'm going to address it. And that's all. That's all right there in that verse. So yeah, when I read this for like you know the first time, I'm like, oh man, you seem vindictive in that last you know sentence or two. But that's not what that's saying at all. That's just saying that hey, I'm a just God, and you can't have love without justice. You you can't have. Um, It's, it, it's not, yeah, so this notion of, oh, God's love. Yes, he is. He's the perfect version of love. Uh, and that sometimes looks like taking care of stuff. Um, I don't think we have time for the video. We'll skip the video. Um, if he is anything, he is the perfect definition of that thing. Okay, hey, I'll introduce you to another Hebrew word real fast. Uh, say NASA. Okay, now say NASA. Okay, now you said it right. Um, I remember it because the first time I read it, it was like, NASA? Because I'm a nerd. Um, no, it's NASA. This is the word forgive. Hey, uh, Grace, can you go back? Uh, verse 6, I think it is. I don't know if you can do that. Okay. Next one. Nope, I'm sorry. The other direction. There it is. Okay, forgiving. Okay, it was on that page. Forgiving. Forgive. Uh, your Hebrew version of this is going to use the word Nasa or some, some context of the word Nasa. Uh, it's rendered forgive, but its most like basic definition is, is the word to carry. Um, what God is saying here is, is uh, I, I want to I carry your sin. I want to carry your transgression, your burden. What's weighing you down? What's holding you back? I want to carry it. I want to take it off of you. Uh, we see this in the New Testament. Jesus saying, lay your burdens down. Cast your cares on me as I care for you. I want to carry. God wants to carry your problem. He wants to carry your shortcomings. He wants to carry the shame and the guilt that you feel for whatever that thing is. He wants to. The invitation is, hey, lay it down. I want to pick it up. I want to, I want to take care of that for you. Would you let me? But... There's that comma, but again, 
If you won't let him carry it for you, there is no one else to carry the consequences of it but you. So we're making a decision in this moment. No, 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 no I'm not going to trust you with it. Um, I'm going to hold it. Okay, well, I, I dealt with it in Jesus, but if you're not going to let go of it, there is no one to carry the second half of this page but you. Please make a good choice in this moment. Let him have it. Give it to him. Let him carry it. Let him not saw your guilt, your shame, the consequences of sin in your life. Give it to him, please. We really do want, in our heart of hearts, we really do want a God uh, who has this character. We want... Uh, a, a God who renders justice when justice needs to be rendered. We don't really want a culture, a civilization uh, where um, sin goes unpunished, where crime goes unpunished. We want that. We want justice, and, and he, is, he is where that idea comes from. So what do we do with all of this? Um, how do we see Jesus clearly in all of this? Uh, Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. He, he is Yahweh in the flesh. Hey, when you see me do something, you are seeing God do something, is, is the whole mission of Jesus. Um, I, I want to make Yahweh super clear and visible. And so we see Jesus, and so we, we see him in Colossians uh, that he, he is this visible expression, that he is, we say this all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is Lord. What are we saying there? Are they saying, like, he's the boss? No, they're saying he is Yahweh, and that's like revolution. That's like a big statement. That's like a major thing. We are, we are proclaiming Jesus is Yahweh, that he is the one who delivered us from, sl- from sin and slavery and bondage. He is the one who carries upon uh, himself our iniquities and our transgressions. He takes them to the cross. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, he is merciful, and he teaches us how to be merciful. He is just. He teaches us how to be just and how to treat others with, with justice and to seek justice in our world. He is peace. He is shalom. He is the one who is with us and teaches us how to be with others in a way that brings restoration to that. Think about that pond again. Uh, We start dropping our rocks uh, and not throwing them. He fixes our perspective on how to be better neighbors, how to be better friends, how to be better family members, and so forth. And so some, like I guess, like final thoughts uh, put together here for you guys. So what would it actually look like for us to interact with Yahweh on a first-name basis? Um, hey, maybe, it, maybe we don't have to worry too much about like, speaking in the King's English when we're praying. Like If you read the King James Bible, awesome. Uh, but that's just like a timestamp of the way people spoke at one time in human history. Like there's no, you're not like praying better prayers if you say thou, right? Um, how, do you, how do you talk to close relationships? You talk to the, like, relax. We were joking over a Chinese egg roll uh, about this scene in, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail and God wants to give 
King Arthur a mission to go find the Holy Grail and the heavens open and it's God and he's like, Arthur, King of the Britons, I have this, wait, wait, what are you doing, dude? And they're all like this and he's like, God says, stop, I'm trying to have a conversation with you. It's like super distracting. And then God's like, all right, all right, here's what I want you to go. I want you to go find the Holy Grail. Wait, wait, now what are you doing? Oh, we're diverting our eyes. Knock it off. I'm trying to talk to you. And I, I don't know. I don't think Monty Python's just silly, but I think he may be onto something there. Like, God wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Uh, don't let, like, weird traditions get in the way of that. Um, we're, we're talking to, to Yahweh, and he wants to have a conversation with us from an honest heart, right where you are. He's with you. Uh, I think I've got one last one. Um, so what would it look like? Maybe it looks like us no longer approaching him with anxiety and fear. Um, he's, already taken the, he's already taken sin on him. He's already taken care of that. If you let him, it's already done. Like If you think about Christ on the cross 2,000 plus years ago, everything that you can do and will continue to do in the rest of your life, it's already been paid for on the cross. Like, like, like give it. Give it to him. Like he's he's he wants to carry your burden. So maybe it, maybe it looks like us not having fear and anxiety. Uh, other gods throw lightning bolts. That's not Yahweh. He's welcoming us to come to him and 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 to take care of you. Like Yahweh wants to be with you. I don't know how to end this without just like saying that again. Like God wants to be with you. May may we not be guilty of sending a proxy on our behalf when the invitation is for you, not y'all, you, to come up to the mountain. May may we not um, call him boss when he wants to be like he wants to be your friend. Jesus tells the disciples. In the upper room, he says, no longer do I call you servants. I now call you friends. Like this invitation is throughout the scriptures. And maybe we evaluate the way that we approach this God. Uh, and maybe we do so uh, in a way that, man, we start to embrace this idea, this invitation of a, of a close, intimate relationship with the creator. Um, yeah. You want me to close this out, or yeah? Okay, let me pray for you. Uh, and then we've got the queue with some announcements. So, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open up Scripture and and read, uh, and discuss, and talk through um, maybe something that we've just kind of like inherited from our parents or grandparents or something. Um, but letting the text speak that that not inputting things where you never put. Laws that you never actually made. Um, help us to take that step. Um, and Holy Spirit, trusting you to speak to each every person in the room right now, what that step might look like, what that journey could look like, what moving toward you looks like, uh, taking down our barriers, dropping the things that keep us from you and from the kind of relationship that you want to have with us. Uh, Lord, help us to be the kind of people and to be the church, uh, the kind of church that pushes back shalom-disrupting rock-throwing. Um, and we'd be the kind of place that ushers in peace and wholeness uh, in our lives as individual families, our lives as community members of, of Groves and Mid-County. 
help us to reflect you um, well. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.